0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. It's Monday, welcome back to the greatest show on earth may be over exaggerating there i hope everybody had a great easter weekend got to spend some time with the family uh got to spend some time outside i know um up here in iowa there was a lot of storms but today is actually sunday when i'm recording this and um i went out to a farm i took down a tree stand and while i was out there i you know scooted around the timber and looked for a couple mushrooms, I found nothing, Um, and it was in a farm last year that I I found a ton of mushrooms, so um, maybe they they haven't popped yet, or maybe someone already got to them, but got to see some family, enjoyed really good food, Uh, and uh, other than that, just a great overall weekend to spend with the family, Um, hopefully you guys got to uh, share some time with family as well, but... Before we get into anything else, I just want to say congratulations to Tony Bellwood from New York. You won the Ozonics hunting unit, the HR200, from uh, the giveaway we did last week, so congratulations on that. Um, I've already messaged you on Facebook, so you have 48 hours to respond with your address, and I will get that shipped out to you, so congratulations on that. Now, today, we are going to be talking with a gentleman named Dustin DeCrew. He lives in Wyoming, and um, we're going to talk about outfitting, um, and if you are the kind of person who is considering an outfitter for any type of animal, whether it's something out west or something on the e- like a whitetail hunt on the east coast or hogs or turkey or elk or whatever. Um, we're going to talk about what you should look for, um, when you are going to hire an outfitter, some of the, the maybe hints that one might be not good or, you know, what to look for, what the difference between a good outfitter and a great outfitter is. And, uh, we're going to cover a whole bunch of topics on outfitting. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how he runs his operation. And, uh, it's always cool to hear. I, I, I personally have never used an outfitter, um, Will I ever? I don't know. I can't say yes or no at this time. I've, I've never done it so far. But, uh, you know, I can see where a guy, let's say, you know, I live in Iowa. Um, I don't get to go out and do a lot of scouting out west. I someday want to go do an uh, elk hunt, a mule deer hunt, you know, maybe even a, a caribou or a moose hunt or, you know, something like that at some point in my life and, uh, you know, if you want to be successful, you have, to, in some of these hunts, you have to really consider. Okay, uh, my 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 odds probably go up if I'm going with somebody who knows the area, whether that's a guide or an outfitter, and um, you know they know where the animals are and they can help you get close to them. So uh, it's just something to think about. So if you've ever considered using an outfitter, this is a great podcast to listen to. Now, before we get into this podcast. I recently talked with Fred Doherty of Wasp Archery about why Wasp is proud to make their products in the USA.
1: We think it's important to have Wasp products manufactured strictly in the United States because of several reasons. One, our reaction time to the consumer needs is much faster. Um, We have greater control over the quality of our products. Uh, We love the idea that we can support the American worker paying great wages, decent benefits, and we're very, very proud of the fact that we're doing our part uh, to support the American economy.
0: All right, guys, if you want to find out more information about Wasp and their broadheads, please visit wasparchery.com. And when you guys decide to purchase your heads online, use the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS, and you will receive 20% off of your order that's a pretty good chunk of savings so uh take advantage of it now let's get into today's kick-ass podcast with dustin decrew all right on the phone with me right now uh mr dustin decrew how you doing I'm doing good dan how are you i'm I'm doing pretty good uh let's see when did when did i meet you ata show this year yeah i know we we we
1: had a uh a brief introduction. It was like back in probably like 06 or 07 out at uh, Todd Graff's Hunt Club. Oh, that's right. Um, oh, that was a long time ago, long though. Time so, but ago. yeah, I would say officially at the ATA.
0: Right. I think I lost a shit ton of arrows that day when we went out onto the range. Um, <laughs> honestly, I probably, I, you know, you have a couple beers. Well, I'll be honest, it was more than a couple. And then I sh- you shoot your bow, and your accuracy just isn't the best.
1: That's true, and I, if I remember correctly, that uh, that weekend was uh, it was pretty wet, it was pretty sloppy, and uh, I think most of us were running about a quart low on blood
0: because of the mosquitoes were so thick. So I know I, I wasn't that. looking
1: for spending the extra time looking for arrows for sure. I re- I remember once,
0: whenever we would go to pull our uh, arrows out of the target. Uh, it was like hurry up and get it done fast because you're yeah. gonna get bit to shit. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. I remember now. So oh, fortunately, uh,
1: fortunately, Todd's dried that place up, and
0: it's uh,
1: it's significantly different now. We uh, we haven't had any mosquito issues in
0: several years. So, oh, cool. Yeah, that's good. That was literally the last time I was out there. So today, well, yeah. first off, let's start off with. Uh, Um, where do you live and what do you do for a living?
1: Uh, I live in, so I live in Northeast, North Central Wyoming, um, between the towns of Buffalo and Sheridan, I actually live in a little, little tiny town called story. Um, but, uh, so we're just on the East face of the Bighorn mountains. Um, and I, I am
0: an outfitter for a living. Okay. So, so, and I, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, but I want to ask you. This question first from a and answer it from a business standpoint and a personal standpoint. How was your two thousand and sixteen season? You know, the the two thousand and sixteen season for us was,
1: was phenomenal. Uh we've been you know, we've been really blessed with the clients that we've had and the landowners that we've dealt with and this business has uh it's really taken off in the last five years. But, you know, we had uh I think we killed Seven mule deer over 170 two over 180 and one over 190 uh so the deer were fantastic and i i'd like to think that's a testament to a little bit of the management that we've done there um in the you know and over the course of the last five years but uh from a personal standpoint i had a actually had a really good year i uh took an elk uh in september uh shot a mule deer two days later and then i ended up actually shooting uh whitetail in Illinois, um, down at, uh, with a buddy, Tyler Rector, who lives right next to, uh, Clinton and, and Frank down there in Fulton County. Oh, nice. Nice. So, um, lot of yeah, yeah, it was a good year. Absolutely. Lots of sausage, lots of jerky. And, uh, fortunately my wife and kids both, uh, both like it. So it saves me a little money. Well, I say that, I don't know if it really pans out that way, but <laughs> it makes, it makes it fun anyway. At least so, that's your
0: justification for it, right?
1: Right, exactly, and I'm going to stick to that for as long as I
0: possibly can. Amen, amen. Well, to kick things off, I want to talk a little bit about outfitting. Um, how maybe how you do it. Um, you know what? Maybe what a guy should look for, and we'll get into that. But first, when let's say I want to go out west, right? And sure. I I want, I know there's an animal I want to hunt, whether it's an elk, mule deer, antelope. I know that, Hey man, I may not be the DIY type. I want to, I want to, I want to start looking at outfitters. What are some of the first things that, uh, guys and gals who are interested in looking for an outfitter actually need to think about questions they need to ask themselves and so forth.
1: You know, there's uh, I mean the, the first thing I guess obviously would be figure out which species you want to do. Um, and whether you know whether you're like okay, I'm gonna go see how the West is, and I'm gonna do an antelope hunt because generally that's uh, you know as far as outfitted hunts go, that's the least expensive, right? So, um, but for for sure, figure out what species it is or what kind of hunt you're looking for. Uh, are you looking for a hardcore horseback backcountry, you know, above timberline kind of hunt, or are you looking for something where? You're gonna stay at a lodge, you're gonna hunt private ground and alfalfa fields and and uh and that kind of thing. And it's I guess it's possible a lot of people may not know that until they until they get it figured out. But I think most people can, you know, narrow it down and say, Look, no, riding a horse for fourteen hours just doesn't sound appealing to me. Yeah. Um but I would say for sure, you know, from that point, whenever you're you're trying to figure stuff out, it's really about uh, what the kind of hunt you want to do. Cause there are so many outfitters, there's lots of good ones. Um, and, and obviously there's lots that are not, um, you know, that are not that well-respected and that's where doing your homework comes in, but certainly trying to figure out the kind of hunt you want to do. Um, and, and really if you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to go to Wyoming or I want to go to Colorado. Or do I want to go to Montana? Um, so figuring out, you know, where you kind of would like to go to, would be would be of a, a, a key component to that
0: okay so as an outfitter how would a guy you know know where to even start as far as um, I guess as status as states are concerned because you have some states where you can get a lot you know have a lot of um, let's say general tags and then some states have draws and you, you have to have built up and or right. certain parts of so how how would a someone new to that western hunting uh, like how would they approach that scenario and knowing what to do on that end as well
1: sure and that's that's really a, that's probably the biggest challenge in the whole deal um <clears throat> is knowing which states uh offer the different kinds of tags, but I would say you know for sure you know the web is is a big help um obviously you don't always know what uh what to to ask or or who to look for but i would certainly start you know our our game wardens and the wyoming um department of game and fish actually does a really good job answering questions but i would say if you're looking to go you know this year like so you know 17 or for instance if you're planning on going for 18 uh there's a lot of places uh, Eastman's is a good good avenue. Uh, Go Hunt is a good avenue, but a lot of those places have compiled the information for you, saying, hey, this is general areas, this state offers general elk, this state offers general rifle elk, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, the state departments, as bad as their websites may be occasionally, uh, they actually do have some good information. <clears throat> but for the most part, uh, Wyoming and Colorado, Wyoming's really, you know, offers some good stuff. So you can get over-the-counter deer tag, or not over-the-counter, but general deer, antelope, and elk, whereas some states don't offer those. But Wyoming is definitely a good spot to start for all the species. Excellent. So, And there's opportunities that guys can have, you know, year after year, uh, rather than, you know, trying to draw a tag for nine
0: years before it actually happens right right so and and what what I've learned through cuz I'm in the process of you know this year before I found out you know my my wife was pregnant I had planned on going to a general uh unit or um a general tag unit over the counter elk in Colorado and right. I knew that several years ago um, that was that was my goal going into it, and I started accumulating tag um, points in Wyoming and in Colorado for some other zones that are um, I, I guess in, in if for people who don't know you have to accumulate some points to get drawn so that way you know the more points you get, the better odds of drawing a tag in that particular unit are concerned. Um, right is and me and you kind of had a really cool conversation at the ATA show about points really are only getting you access right can right. you can you, yeah, can you yeah. elaborate a little bit on that comment and not necess- you know and explain sure. what what the point system is maybe how it works and then really what is it getting you at, at the end of the day right yeah and
1: i i have this conversation a lot um you know, because basically, I guess I'll start with how the, how the preference point system works, at least, you know, I'll speak from the standpoint of Wyoming, because that's the one that I know the best, but uh, you know, so the state is split up into different, different units in Wyoming. They're actually called areas. Um, and the majority of those are classified as limited quota, meaning that they're going to offer X number of tags, whether it's archery tags, rifle tags, or either weapon tags. Uh, they're going to offer a set number of tags in that area, and those are going to be uh, distributed based on the preference point system. So in Wyoming, 75% of those those allotted number of tags, so say we have 100 tags for easy, easy figures, uh, 75 of those are going to go to the people that have accumulated the most preference points. So the remaining 25% of those go into a random draw, which is is a compiled of everybody that applies for that license, whether you have zero points or max points. So everybody that applies still has a chance to draw a tag. Um, <clears throat> what a lot of what's happening, and it's really easy, easy you know, for all of us, and I, I would do the same thing if I was in a different state that I didn't actually, um, you know, fully understand the way that it was working is that, we, you know, as people we we tend to think, okay, I've got the more points I have, that's either gonna get me into an area with bigger bulls, more elk, or or something similar or a combination of the both of of right. the two. And realistically what it's doing or what it's evolved to, especially for antelope and elk, uh deer deer maybe not so much uh as those two. But what really what's happening is you are getting into areas that have for elk hunting it's more public access and it may also be uh less um less intense terrain, you know, so so easier terrain to deal with. You may not be in really, really steep, nasty, rocky stuff. And basically what's happening is is people are saying, Okay, look, I've I know that if I draw, you know, this tag we're going to use unit seven because that's the one you know that everybody hears about on tv um if i draw this tag i know that there's a good amount of public land that i'm going to be able to go and do it myself and so there's a lot of people that apply for that because they they may not want to do the outfitter thing or they may want to do it on their own um the other side of that the other piece of that is that there's a lot of a lot of stuff in that area that's not terrible hiking and there's some road access and that kind of thing. So that's more appealing to more people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, there's less, there's fewer people, I guess that want to go do the, the hardcore, um, you know, campaign style hunts. Yeah. And so, yeah, so really those, your preference points are getting you into areas that are easily accessed and have, have, uh, you know, good, good navigable terrain uh rather than bigger bulls or more elk and the same thing with antelope you know gotcha. like down in the southwest part of the state there's there's uh lots of public ground and that's that takes a lot of points to
0: draw yeah okay so my question so, then is what a so my question then is does the does the point system also mean less pressure from a hunting standpoint because there's uh, only a certain number of tags. Because when I think of, so when I, yeah. I went uh, hunting in a, in a general uh, unit in Idaho, there was a lot of hunters in that particular yep. um, area. Now, when I think of, you know, you just said it doesn't necessarily mean bigger bulls or bigger animals or, you know, the best quality of animals. It's just easier to access right. and easier navigation. Does that also translate into hunting pressure then? It does. It does for sure.
1: You know, there's uh we, we operate in a general unit. Uh, we do archery hunts there. We do not do rifle hunts just because it's up pretty high. And, uh, you know, if you get snow, it pushes them out, but certainly, certainly there's a lot more people in those general areas, uh, gotcha. for sure. But, uh, but yeah, and that, I mean, really that is, that's the, that's the beauty of it is if you do draw one of those tags, there's certainly going to be people around, you know, and, and I'm sure pressured from my standpoint in Wyoming. From and somebody that hunts in Pennsylvania are totally different, but yeah. but yeah, there's a, it certainly does does limit the pressure for sure, which is very nice.
0: Okay, good. All right, so then yeah. Okay, so then when it comes to some of these hunts, um, I guess let's say a guy has. You know, he he wants to go right away, right? And now knowing what, you know, knowing what uh, you've just said, saying that, you know, you could be fighting hunting pressure. Um, uh, If you want to go this year in a general unit, you could be fighting limited access and really rugged terrain, Um, but you still want to go. What are some things to think about at at that point for a Western trip? Um, You know, I would think about about the places that are,
1: I mean, I guess if you're, if you're want to go, you know, 2017 and you're okay with some of those, those tougher hunts, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is do I want to deal with grizzly bears or do I not? And really that cuts, you know, the state of Wyoming essentially in half, uh, you know, and say, okay, look, I'm going to eliminate the grizzly bear possibility. So the West half of the state is out. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a good way to start there. The other thing to think about, I guess, would be, are you going to, are you going to try to do it as a drop camp? Or are you willing to hire an outfitter to take you in and drop you off somewhere? Um, you know, or, or there, there are some, one thing I didn't touch on too, is you can draw a general tag and there's a lot of private land areas that are, are open to general tags. And the reason why is because you know they want some of those elk harvested, but there's no public access to help contain those numbers, so they make it easier to draw. And that's also a possibility. It is it's tougher to uh, tougher to get on those that private ground unless you are with an outfitter. Um, but that's also a possibility too. So if a guy wants to go this fall, I'd think about: Do you want to deal with bears? Do you not want to deal with bears? And then, is this something you want to do totally on your own, or is it, or is it not? And there's actually some really good resources for for drop camps, um, or or outfitters, or packers that can take you into those areas. Um, if it's something that you just want to do on your own, it's pretty much start looking at maps and you know figure out the general areas, and you, you're kind of going to drop a pencil on the map and go to that point and figure out what happens. Um, you can, there's a lot of people you can talk to as well.
0: Gotcha. So I want you to elaborate a little bit on dealing with grizzly bears. I mean, is it, is it a, is it just kind of like a thought, you know, like, Hey, there is a thought in my head that a grizzly bear could, I could have an encounter with a grizzly bear. Do I want that? Yes or no. Or is there a problem where, grizzly bears in Wyoming are eating up all these hunters you know I think I think it falls somewhere in between uh realistically
1: though the when when something happens is whenever you lose that sense of awareness and you get comfortable uh yeah you know there's a lot there are there's a lot of bears and there's a lot of encounters every year with bears and especially you know whenever whenever you're in there you got you and your buddy you know you hike back there and you shoot an elk and you can only take out a little bit at a time. It usually doesn't take very long for a bear to uh to get in there and and decide that that's his property and not yours anymore. But but there certainly are there's certainly attacks uh encounters and and that kind of thing every year. So it's definitely more than just a thought when you're out there. It's definitely a realistic a realistic possibility and and it's super important that you're you're, you're prepared. I don't know if that's possible. You know, people think oh, I'm going to take a gun in there and usually I don't know if that that's any better than bear spray, but, but, uh, usually just being aware of your surroundings, but certainly is something to, to, uh, keep in the back of your mind at all times.
0: So, and this is basically just because I want to know, but how <clears throat> does one, let's say, Let's say a situation like that occurs where a guy goes into the the backcountry, right? He shoots an elk He's in the process of, you know, packing it out, whether it's while he's at the carcass or he's coming back to it after he dumped the first load off at his truck and there's a grizzly bear there. How do you, how do you deal with that?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, fortunately, I have not had that issue um you know we hunt on the east side or the the central and east side of the state so i haven't had that problem but really there's not really a lot you can do uh you pretty much sit there and and watch him eat um yeah. you know and, and stay stay far enough away that he doesn't feel like you're coming to try to get your elk uh yeah. there's i i don't have a good answer for that dan I'm, you know it's i know several people that have have uh packed out you know they'll pack out the, the hind quarter or whatever on their first load and take their bow or their gun back to their truck and and come back and there's a bear sitting in the middle of it or there's been a bear there in the meantime um yeah. there's it's i I know some there are a couple outfitters that will you know they'll have have somebody sit up on the hill and with a gun while they're carving up the elk to pack it out to make sure that you know nothing does happen but that sounds like
0: a pretty intense situation to me. Yeah, right, right. It's not like my grandma when a possum gets in the garage and she just takes a broom is like, get out of here, get, get.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's certainly one that I hope I don't have to deal with anytime <laughs> soon for sure. All right. But. So now we have, you know, okay, we've talked a, a little bit about um, – you know, the terrain and, uh, you know, maybe the end of the point system, just a hair. So now it's time to pick an outfitter. Now it's time to actually, you know, and we've decided, okay, I want to, I want to choose an outfitter or I'm going to do it myself. Let's go down this uh, outfitter route uh, for this this podcast. So what, what do I need to be looking for in a quality outfitter? So not only that I feel it's a fair price, but there's, you know, I get what I want in the end as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. One thing that
1: I, that I try to do, uh, a, a really good job of, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm always trying to get better at stuff, but, and this is just from, from clients that have talked to me is communication. So let's say Dan's like, all right, we're going elk hunting. I'm going to find an outfitter and you send an email to 10 different outfitters, right? right. Or you call them either way. And you get an email back from, you know, three or four of them the first day, you know, the second day you get, you get a couple more and then there's a handful of them that you don't hear from for, you know, a week or 10 days or whatever it is. Um, that certainly doesn't mean that the ones that didn't respond aren't good outfitters or they don't run a good operation.
0: Uh, but
1: for me and the other, you know, the other, uh, other types of business that I have been in, the people that are responsive is always a big deal. You know, right. um, you know, people that are on the ball, they want to help you. They, they want to earn your business. And, yeah. and so somebody that's responsive or, or communicates well, uh, or at least responds quickly, you know, so even if you guys are out of town, cause I get it, you know, you're, you're calling in December, November, cause the applications are due in January and there's guys, you know, like for us, we're, we are totally wrapped up with elk and whitetail in November, but uh, you know we try to. I send a or I do an auto response deal, you know, an out of office or here email Jen, who's my wife, who really makes the business roll whenever we're out doing our deal. But uh, but I think that's a big deal is finding somebody that will will call you back or email you back right away. And the other thing is before you send those emails or phone calls. There are a ton of resources online, uh, you know, reviews for sure around there. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of talk. You can Google pretty much any outfitter in the state of Wyoming and find find a good deal of information. And they, again, you know what you believe out of that is is hard, but you can get a, a pretty good feel for the majority of it.
0: So, so what's important to look for? I mean, is it? Uh, a outfitter that says he has, uh, you know, a five-star review rating or, um, has, you know, I don't know what the, the term now <laughs> these days, is it, is it like, uh, um, op- you know, we guarantee you opportunities, we guarantee a kill, all, all that kind of stuff. What, sure. what kind of statistics <clears throat> should a, a guy be looking for? You know, I, it's hard to say, like, from our standpoint, you know, we're,
1: we're pretty fortunate in the area that we live in the the animals are pretty plentiful but i would say you should be at least you know i i don't i don't like the success you know what's your success rate question because that really has a lot to do with how well guys shoot but you know the opportunity rate what guys are getting what percentage of guys are getting a crack uh you know and i would say that needs to be at least at least up into the you know, 75 to 90% of the rate of the, of the time, um, okay. archery elk would be, I would say, you know, depending on the, uh, on the units, of course, but if you, if you're below 60, 60, to 70% opportunity, um, you, you know, that would be a, a reason to say, Hey, why, why are you guys only getting 70% of your clients opportunities? But, right. um, You know, so another question to ask them, and this, this is maybe jumping ahead, but another question to ask is what percentage of your clients are return clients and which ones are, you know, what percentage are new clients that haven't hunted with you? Right. Um, You know, because that, that usually will tell you something too. Now, granted, if a guy's doing, doing pretty much only elk hunter, if he hunts deer and elk in hard to draw areas. He may not have that many, you know. If it takes five, six, seven, eight, nine years to draw a tag, um, you know, ten years between return trips, uh, yeah. you know, but that would be one of those those circumstances where it would be
0: okay. Okay. So, any other triggers <laughs> that a that a guy should look for, from maybe a standpoint of um, uh, maybe I should be weary of this this outfitter. Sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you know, I personally, if somebody guarantees you anything other than that they're going to work their butt off and yeah. uh, make sure that you you have an enjoyable time, um, if they guarantee you the size of a deer or the size of an elk, or, it, it may be legitimate, but guys that guarantee that, I'm always hesitant of. Um, you know, sometimes it pans out, but most of the time... I would be, I would question it for sure. Uh, other, other things to look out for would be, um, I'm trying trying to think there's, there's some, some outfitters that I know that I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, use names, but I've, you hear a lot of stories about, well, yeah, we booked the hunt and, you know, and we never ever saw or heard the guy, or heard of the guy that we booked the hunt with, you know, we saw him at the show, never, ever saw him again during the whole hunt. Uh, you know, we were told we were going to have meals and lodging. We had lodging. It was kind of a, it was a dive. We had to cook our own meals, you know, that kind of thing. But the biggest deal would be get references, you know, and certainly every outfitter, nobody's in it. No outfitters are going to give you a bad reference, right? You know, like here, call this guy. He had a horrible time. Um, that, that doesn't happen, but you can, you can always ask for unsuccessful references because if there's anybody, you know, that, that would be like, uh, it wasn't that great would be the guys that didn't kill stuff. Yeah. Um, but I would, so I would call references and then look online for sure at the, at all the reviews and obviously read them all a grain of salt. But if you see a bunch of guys that are ripping on one, the outfitter that you're looking at, it, it might be, uh it might be time to look at a different place.
0: Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about expectations, not only from, (laughs) you know, what me as a potential client should expect when I come out for a particular hunt and what you as the outfitter expect of your, of your clients. Right. Because, you know, I think there's some people out there who have the, the, um, the expectation that I'm hiring an outfitter, they will put me on a, a big ass animal, and I will kill it. Right. Yep. Yep. Elaborate sure. on elaborate on the expectations from both sides of the fence. Yeah.
1: So uh, you know, it's it's easy, it's easy for for me to say you know uh, the expectations because I actually I went on my first outfitted fitted hunt uh, two springs ago and I went to Manitoba to, uh, to hunt bears. And it was actually with a guy that I had guided on an antelope hunt when I was working for the outfitter that I worked for prior to having my own business. And, uh, that was the first time I was on the other side of the coin, so to speak. And, you know, you still, even as an outfitter, you still kind of have this expectation like, okay, well, I'm going to go up here and, you know, they've got all this stuff figured out and they're just going to sit me here and I'm going to shoot a big bear when it walks into the barrel with my bow. And uh, so it's kind of neat to see, you know, how that works. But certainly uh, if you're coming to hunt with me, you know, I would totally expect your guide and outfitter to know where the animals are, what kind of animals are around um, and have a pretty good idea before you ever get there, how they're going to go about hunting them. Um, you know, so I would say your expectations of your outfitter should be, should be fairly high. Um, now as far as the class of animals, um, speaking from our, you know, our deal, uh, I always tell guys, and this is, I guess this is me managing my hunter's expectations, but I tell guys like for our mule deer, I say, look, our average deer is between 145 and 165 we kill several a year that are bigger than that but that's our average um right and in like last year i think i think we killed i don't know 20 20 something mule deer probably and i think three of them maybe that weren't management deer were under 150 155 um you know but that's that's part of my job is to to make sure like if you're okay with what my average is and i know i can do better than that you know then then i'm already on the right track to having a happy hunter
0: right for sure
1: um but as far as one thing that that is hard for us is guys there's no way for flatlanders um to prepare fully physically for something like an elk hunter you know a high country hunt it's just uh, it's not that i mean you can take you can take the guy that runs marathons all day every day and his legs and everything are going to be fine and for the most part those guys are you know are going to be fine lung wise but uh the hard the hard part for me is that our elk tags you know they release the draw results in february so you've got like six seven months to prepare for that hunt and it's uh it's hard when guys show up and they expect you to th- to do the things that, that we should do as an outfitter or guide, you know, knowing the animals and be ready to take you to them. But it's hard whenever guys show up and they have done, you know, very little to prepare for that. And that's typically the biggest hindrance in elk hunters not filling their tags is they just simply can't get to where they need to get to.
0: Because the the client slowing them down,
1: right? Or the client can't make it there. You know, they just right. they're like, look, you know, or say, look, it's going to take us an hour there. We got an hour and twenty minutes of daylight there. Let's go. And your client's like, I I can't make it. You know, yeah. and um, but and that's so that's hard because they're expecting you to to put them on there, but we can't make the animal show up where we can get to them right now. You know, so that's, I, th- I would, I guess our biggest expectation of the hunters is that they're going to trust us. They're going to not guide the guide. You know, they're going to, uh, they're going to give it everything they've got. They're going to shoot, <laughs> shoot their guns and their bows before they get to the camp.
0: And
1: <laughs> yeah, That's i uh, I'm probably like the worst client of all time. I remember my business partner two years ago, it was like, I think we were going up there like May 20th and, uh. We were at the house and I was like, Rich, do you think we should shoot our bows before we like before we go up here and shoot bears? And he looked at me and he's like, Oh, we are the worst clients ever and I was like, Yeah, <laughs> we are But uh it, it worked out all right. Um But yeah, you know, making sure that you're proficient with your equipment, and you're in as good a shape as you can be in. The rest uh should fall into place.
0: Okay. So So from a from an outfitter standpoint now you it's your responsibility in a way to kind of know where these animals are how how dedicated throughout the entire year are you to that uh, are you i mean are do outfitters in general i mean and you can speak for yourself on this but do outfitters <laughs> in general follow animals the entire year and like glass them like right now in April and May and June and July all the way up until the season or do they wait till like a couple of weeks before the season and then go out and try to find them? Uh, you know, I think I'm
1: sure there's some you know that are out looking at stuff right now, but but for the most part we don't we don't do a lot in the spring uh, or the winter uh, after the season. You know, we kind of go do our family stuff, but as far as the scouting side goes. The elk, for sure, you know, they're going to move around from, from right now until where they're going to be, you know, in August, September time. Uh, the cows are going to go to their calving grounds. The bulls are going to go up higher. So the stuff you're looking at right now, uh, you know, isn't necessarily what you're going to see in the fall. Um, as, you know, the deer, deer have lost all their antlers and that stuff, you know, for sure, uh, here. But we'll usually get on it pretty good in in, you know, like, July – uh July August, whenever all this snows melted up high and those bulls are as high as they're gonna get to we'll we'll start checking stuff out there. You know we do watch the deer throughout the summer just because I like running trail cameras and you know watching our whitetails and mule deer but uh but in August, for sure, when we're doing our tree antelope hunts, we'll actually you know we'll sit sit guys in their blinds, and then it's essentially a full day of of scouting deer you know in that area. So, but I'm sure that there's outfitters that that'll follow, you know, follow stuff around. You know, a lot of
0: those herds are migratory, so that'd be tough to do. But,
1: but I'd say most of them do the second half of the summer for sure.
0: And then as the season kicks off, you guys are—is is that almost like a full-time job? I mean, hustling clients in and out of certain areas and trying to maintain uh, an idea of where all the animals are, because I'm sure you have backup spots, right? You just don't have one draw you hunt in all the time.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a full balls of the wall situation, you know, starting August 14th, uh, you know, we've, we've got guys in and out of here pretty much every four or five days for the whole till the middle of December. But, uh, as far as, knowing where the animals are at a lot of these properties we've hunted for so many years. You know, it's one of those deals where, you know, this is where a mature, where the mature deer hang out. Um, you know, you go back there every couple of days and look and, and the other thing that's really cool about our outfit, um, and there's others that do the same, but all of our guides, we're all, you know, we work as a team for sure. We're all, you know, all good buddies. And so, if uh you know, if you're guiding somebody and I got somebody, you got a deer hunter, I got an antelope hunter, um, uh, you know, when we see a big deer and I say, Hey Dan, we got this deer over here that, you know, I didn't see last week or whatever, bring your guy over here and, and let's let's get it done. Um, which is kind of a cool deal because that really helps it's uh you know, your it's on the job training or on the job scouting I guess, whenever you've got other guys, you know, out on different ranches than you're at. And, right. uh, working together, it certainly helps the situation.
0: So, and it makes it more fun. Without so, a doubt, I know, and I know this, this probably differs from every outfitter, but is a majority of your outfitting on private ground that you, some, you get permission or have some kind of contracts with, uh, yeah. like landowners, or is it on public ground that anybody can hunt? So we do, we do both. Um, we
1: have, we have permits with the national forest as well as BLM. Um, so we do a lot of our, you know, our mountain elk hunts around the national forest. Uh, the majority, almost all of our mule deer, whitetail, antelope, uh, you know, turkeys, that kind of stuff. That's all down on private leased ground. Gotcha. So there may be, you know, there may be a piece of, state or BLM that somehow intertied to those ranches that will go on, um, that we're, you know, we have a permit to go on state lands as well. But, uh, I would say, you know, percentage wise, we're probably 70% private, 30%, you know, on the
0: forest. Okay. So what do you do? What do you do most of what, what species are most of your clients after? Or is there like an even split? man, it's, it's hard to tell. Like I would, t- I mean, for sure we do,
1: you know, we, we take more antelope total than we do anything. Uh, <laughs> people call them prairie maggots, you know, cause they're everywhere, but there's, you know, the cool part is you could do a whitetail antelope combo hunt. You could do a mule deer antelope. You could do a, an elk antelope. Uh, so that, you know, those kind of get tied into all the other species. Cause it's a, you know, as as far as the hump prices go, it's a fairly economical add on. But uh,
0: but yeah, for for your say, business or for the tags uh, in general. Well, for
1: for for our business, um, okay. You know, we're yeah, yep. Yeah, so the tag and, and the cool part about, or the maybe part of the reason we do that many antelope is because our the area that we're in is like. private land. So nobody applies for the tags because they don't have a place. that goes back to that takes zero points to draw a tag in our area because it's all private, but you know, we're killing the same size antelope. They kill, you know, a lot of in the red desert that takes, takes seven, eight, nine points. But, uh, but anyway, you can draw antelope tag. If you get a mule deer tag or white tail tag or even a private land elk tag, you could do an antelope as well. So maybe that's why our numbers are a little higher.
0: I got you. So do do a lot of your clients do combo hunts when they come out there they try to kill multiple species. Yeah.
1: Yeah, during I would say of the deer hunts, I would say probably 80% of them are are combo hunts, maybe 70% of them are combo hunts, but it is Does a pretty be... pretty significant number.
0: Is it just because the those two species are running in the same area so it's almost like hey we could run into antelope or we could run into mule deer today so if you have a tag for both it'll be it's it's just a win-win yeah yeah
1: for sure and i think you know it generally it's more like all right we're gonna hunt mule deer you know or or white tails in the morning or the evening and we'll go hunt antelope in the middle of the day so it's kind of fun because it'll it breaks it up a little bit uh you know, for sure when you're hunting mule deer you're gonna see antelope. Uh but it's kinda of cool to be like, Okay, you know, like I think I think when Justin came and did his uh his archery deer hunt, it was like ninety five degrees and you got an hour and a half, you know, in the morning and an hour in the evening. So we were driving around, it was like a hundred and five in the truck, you know, trying to shoot prairie dogs or Really, you're just BSed for seven hours in the middle of the day. But it, so during rifle season, it's not quite that hot. But it is nice to have a a goat tag to cruise around and at least look for something. Right. So, but we've been we've been a hundred percent success on our antelope for the last well uh, five years that we've owned it, and then I believe eight years. Uh, with the previous owner, so we're we're going on 14 years of 100% rifle antelope So it's usually a pretty good a uh, pretty good chance. You're gonna fill a tag there
0: is I've I've driven through some spots in Wyoming and I do I'm, I'm not trying to call anybody out here where <laughs> I could if I could have if I wanted to if I I could have parked alongside the road walked into the public ground And literally, if I had a rifle, I would have shot him right right there. I mean, that (laughs) easy. yes Is is antelope hunting fairly easy Uh, with a rifle? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean,
1: for sure, it's it's not terribly difficult. Uh, Now, granted, if so, let's say you're in your scenario on your drive through Wyoming, you could have walked through there. You know, you could do that on day one and maybe on day two. But when you get to day three, as soon as your truck stops and the door opens, you know, it'll be long gone by the by like day 30. Whenever they see your truck come over the hill, it'll be a whole different volume. <laughs> <Adios>. But but <laughs> yeah, but you get to see the dust in a white a white butt hauling ass in the other direction. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's fairly simple just because there's so many so many animals, you know, it's like you can you can miss three or four. And you, you know, on day one and still know that you're gonna you're gonna have a, a boatload more opportunities. But uh you know where it gets where it gets fun is where you try to you try to harvest a particular animal, right? right. Just like you know, just like you can do with whitetails in, in Iowa and say, Hey look, I'm gonna chase this deer and that's the only one I'm gonna shoot. So that that adds a bit of challenge uh for sure and you know, and makes it, uh, makes
0: it pretty fun. So as uh, someone who, you know, you're in a way, you're in a way responsible for what your clients are harvesting. Um, do, is there, and this kind of goes back to expectations about what they're willing to, um, shoot or what, what the customer wants to shoot. <clears throat> is that a conversation you have with them up front? Like, Hey, what are you, what are you looking for? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, you know, and and a lot of that goes back to that very first conversation on the phone when I say, Hey, you know, this is what our average deer is. This is what our average antelope is or whatever the case may be. But, uh, so we do, uh, you know, we do a meeting, a safety meeting, uh, before all the hunts start. And, and I tell everybody, you know, there's, there's really two ways to go about this. Uh, one is don't pass on something, the first day that you'd be happy with on the last right right because we can't guarantee the weather whatever you can't guarantee anything but the other side of that is there's a lot of guys that come and say hey look i'm looking for a 190 inch deer if we see one awesome i'll shoot it if we don't that's okay too um you know but that's what i want to hold out for and i'm totally okay with those guys uh it's it's the guys that uh think that they want to wait for the one ninety, you know, and then, and then they're like, Oh no, let's shoot that one. You are like, no, you can't shoot that one. You're not going to shoot a two year old, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, for sure. We absolutely have that conversation, you know, and on the way out. So what are you looking for? You know, what kind of deer are you looking for? What have you shot before? Um, that kind of thing. And, and I guess after a while you just, you just are able to to pick up, you know, guys will tell you certain stuff. And you can say, you know, I don't ever, if if your guide ever says shoot that one, that means do it right now because they certainly know that it's worth a shooter because they don't want to be the guy that said shoot that one and then they get up there and it's not anywhere near what you thought, right? Right. So
0: <laughs> so, but what uh, happened? You mentioned something about a two-year-old there. Um, so, do you practice any type of management? And, I'll, and I'm going to use me as an example. Let's say I hire I hire you as my outfitter. I've never shot, sure. uh, and, and we'll use mule deer as an example. I've never shot a mule deer before, and I really just want to go on a western hunt and shoot a, a mule deer buck. Um, and let's say the first one that comes around the corner is a below average two-year-old, and I tell you, hey, I want to shoot it. Is that something that you then say to the client, hey, man, I, I really think you should just hold off for a, a more mature deer? Uh, because, you know, yeah. that, that buck can't be a giant in two years if you have clients harvesting them this year.
1: Right. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, you know, we we totally do. Uh, there's the first couple of years uh, we actually were taking significantly less numbers of deer uh, than on, you know, on the ranches that, that we had, that he had, the previous owner had just because that was our goal was to, to grow bigger deer and that means shooting less of them. Um, and now we've gotten to the point in five years that, uh, you know, our age classes is, is really, is really grown, uh, is actually, you know, it's, it's really good for us. We've been continually harvesting bigger deer, but yeah, absolutely. I would say, Dan let's, uh, you know, it's first morning. I'm I'm certain that we can do better than this. And uh let's let's take a look around before we before we whack that one. Uh gotcha. you know, I don't I don't necessarily say no, we're not shooting that one, it's a two year old, but you know, more of a kind of a soft sell and let's go let's go see what's around. And right. um and that's where the scouting part comes in too for us is like, okay, it's hard to tell that to a guy if you haven't been out there and you don't know what's around. You know, right. So, but as much time as we spend on the ranches and during the summer and, you know, August, September, you got a really good idea whenever you can crawl up on the hill and watch it, you know, watch a couple miles in every direction of, of what's around. So, but yeah, we have the whitetails, the whitetails we actually do, uh, we, we've we been working really hard on getting, growing some older whitetails too and, and that's starting to show as well. So, yeah, we do as
0: do a, try to say we do a pretty good job of of managing our age class. So, is there ever a time where you've had maybe some disagreements with a client um, based off whether they do want to shoot, go after an animal, or don't want to go after an animal? Um, let's say you know we got a guy in. He, I'm just using a hypothetical situation here, where you got sure, sure. two gu- two guides and you got two clients and you know during the camp the the uh one guide and the one client run into a giant mule deer they hear about it and your client says to you i want to go after that mule deer Uh, how do you how do you do like are there are there situations like that that happen how do you handle them um i don't i don't know yeah i mean i
1: really i have never had that problem um i have not fortunately you know knock on wood cuz that would that would suck but i we really haven't um i'm trying to think we've been we've been pretty fortunate we have not had really any any conflicts we haven't had any you know any jealousy style issues we had uh the really the only things i've had a, i had a guy one time he uh <clears throat> we were on our way out and you know it says before daylight And it's like, I can't remember if it was opening day or if it was the second hunt, but either way, we're on our way out. And he's like, yeah, you know, I was doing the whole, you know, what kind of, what kind of deer are you looking for? Or he's like, well, well, I'm I'm not a first day shooter. And I was like, well, what do you mean you're not a first day shooter? He's like, well, I'm not shooting an animal on the first day. And I was like, so if we see the biggest deer on the ranch on the first morning, you're not going to shoot him. He was like, no, I'm not shooting him. So I just kind of slowed down and whipped a yui and started heading back to the lodge in the dark. And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, if you're not going to shoot on the first day, I said, I'll take somebody out there that will. And he was like, well, well, what do you mean? I was like, look, there's, I, I can't guarantee that that deer is going to be on our side of the fence tomorrow. I can't guarantee that it's not going to rain 10 inches tonight and we're not going to be able to get anywhere tomorrow. I said, so either you can consider this the second day of your hunt, or we're going to go grab a, a hunter, you know, cause some of the other guys might have two hunters with him. And I said, I'll grab one of those and you can take pictures and watch. And he was like, yeah. Oh no, no, let's, let's, let's go out there. You know, and that guy, he actually <laughs> ended up shooting a deer on the first day and he was ecstatic. But that's really, I mean, that's not a big deal, but that's kind of the extent of the, of the conflicts we've ever had.
0: So gotcha. But yeah, we've been so, pretty fortunate. We've had good, good. guys. So then, I, I I I I am actually daydreaming right now about heading out west and and hunting some of these some of these animals. As a as a hunter's as a hunter yourself, do you have a favorite animal to hunt, or a, or a <laughs> you know a, that you hunt <laughs> that you hunt and a favorite animal to take? You know, let's say I'm, I, I choose you as my outfitter. Sure. Do you have a favorite hunt to take guys on? Man, I don't, you know, the,
1: I don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess my favorite thing to hunt is whatever season it is at that time. You know, it's right. like during, during, uh, you know, archery elk season, you're like, ah, oh, there's nothing better than elk screaming in your face. But, you know, then whenever, it's archery deer season. It's like, man, it's, there's not a whole lot better than spotting this buck from two miles and crawling through all these drainages and popping up and being at 20 yards and he's in his bed. <laughs> right. So right. I certainly, I guess the archery hunts are, uh, are my favorite to take people on, but really any time that it's somebody's first experience, you know, so if it's a kid, you know, it's their first antelope, or if you take, I took a guy last year, from Illinois, it was his first animal ever, and um you know, so that's pretty rewarding. And and I guess that's where the where the excitement for me comes in is when when guys that you take hunting get excited about it. Then I guess that's my favorite at that particular time. Right. But right. and I I still love even though you know we don't have as big a whitetails out here. uh I still love I still love hunting whitetails. When I moved back here. I grew up here, uh, and then I went to high school in Texas and college at University of Oklahoma. Then whenever I moved back, it was kind of like November rolled around, and pretty much all of our archery seasons are had been over for a month. And uh, right. there was definitely some days where I was like, man, I really miss being in a tree in November.
0: But uh, now I've are got your white places tails, to do that. So, Are your whitetails um, in Wyoming, what kind of terrain do they live in? Uh, they actually, they all live, for the most
1: part, they live in, uh, you know, creek bottoms with cottonwoods and alfalfa and that kind of stuff. Uh, they will go, they will cross, cross out of there. You'll find them, you know, within a mile or mile and a half of the river bottoms, especially in the rut. Yeah. But, but yeah, they're, they're pretty similar to a, you know, kind of a river bottom style, style setup. They're actually, we've been seeing a bunch of them up in the mountains, too. Oh, really? So, like, I got I got trail camera pictures of whitetail, at, like, just under 11,000 feet. Woo!
0: That's crazy. Yeah. So
1: that's nuts. It's nuts. We actually saw them. We were up there elk hunting, and I jumped a whitetail, and I was like, what is going on here?
0: But, <laughs> well, definitely a pretty cool animal. The, one of the last questions I have for you is, how do you... I mean, is it just kind of like a contract that you have with a landowner that says, all right, well, I'm going to pay you this much money to, or like a contract or negotiation to, to hunt on my ranch at, you know, you can bring your clients on there. Is there like a success rate like for every animal you take off, you pay him a certain amount or how, how does that work from a business standpoint?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's typically two, two avenues there. One is the the buy, you know, pay per animal that you take. So, you know, you pay X dollars for each antelope, deer, elk, whatever it is that you take, uh, which most of the time, the guys that, that want it managed, uh, you know, they're like, Hey, I want to see bigger deer. And, you know, I'm, I'm good with, you know, if you only take a couple off of here, uh, you know, that's pretty much the route that we go there. Uh, the other guys, some guys are like, look, this is a resource and i need to make you know i'd like this much for the ranch or whatever and usually for us from the business side it boils down to okay look i think i can take five deer off this property and you know keep it good and so that's how we negotiate our our contract there but but uh, most of them i guess it's probably it's probably 70 30 you know um flat fee versus per animal there's gotcha. more people that are like, I'd rather be able to count on this much income to pay my taxes or whatever it is, you know, right. than not really knowing. So Gotcha. Uh, yeah.
0: I and mean, then as far as, as far as your outfit is concerned, what, uh, you guys, do you have more gun hunters come through or bow hunters come through?
1: Uh, numbers wise, we have more gun hunters and I, gotcha. I just think that's because, you know, the, the, the demographic that we, you know, that we're, uh, kind of, kind of catering to, I guess is, uh, is a little bit older, you know, typically guys between 45 and 60. Uh, and there's, I feel like there's more younger guys that are bow hunters, but, uh, if we could make a living just doing archery hunts, that's all we do for sure. But, right. uh, but it's also not always the way it works, right. So, right. but we have that's... fun with all of it.
0: For sure. That's, uh, the most important thing when it's all said and done right it is indeed it (laughs) is for sure well i tell you what dustin why don't you go ahead and uh you know if if, uh people want to find out more about your um bighorn outfitters why don't you tell them where to go for more information sure
1: uh the our website is just www.bighornoutfitters.com and that's outfitters s is plural um, we're on Facebook and I believe that's bighorn outfitters dash Wyoming. Um, there's a, it's a black and white logo with a mule deer on there. But, uh, we're, if you Google bighorn outfitters, you can find, find the good, bad and the ugly probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for sure the website is, uh, is the easiest way. My email is on there. Mine's just Dustin D-U-S-T-I-N at com. Uh, so we're easy to get a hold of, but, uh, yeah, there's pretty much there's pricing all the species that we hunt, all that stuff's online. So
0: cool. Cool. Well, man, (laughs) I uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the podcast, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that is your Monday podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in and downloading. Uh, I really appreciate all the, uh, the listeners and, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. So, thank you very much for uh, downloading. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast: Exodus, Wasp, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Ozonics, and Gearhead. Please go check out those companies. See if, uh, it's a a company that you can get behind, do your research on them. I'm a huge fan and, uh, you, you might be too. If you, uh, give, give them a try. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, what else, what else, what else, what else? Huge shout out to Dustin. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast and, uh, chit chatting with us today. And, uh, If you guys haven't already, make sure you are following me on Facebook, following me on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, again, last year we did it and I want to do it again this year. Uh, We are going to be doing another series of bow reviews this summer. So if you want to take part in a couple of these bow reviews, doesn't mean you have to go buy the bow. Go to a local archery shop. Go to a, a big box store wherever they sell uh, the new flagship bows, or it doesn't even have to be a new. It doesn't have to be one of the big brands. It doesn't have to be the flagship bow. Um, go shoot a handful of bows, compare them to each other, and uh, come on the podcast and tell us all about uh, you know what you've what you find. And like I said, it doesn't have to be the big brands like Bowtech or matthews or elite e and hoyt pse you know there's a uh, several several brands out there that uh we didn't cover on the last um time we did the, this series but uh i want to make sure we cover those on this next series so go shoot a whole bunch of bows and then come on the podcast and talk about it talk about what you like and what you d- dislike now what else i think that's it Um, I'm trying to think, I don't want to stop recording because I was on a good roll, but I'm going to end it right here. So as this summer gets going, I know guys are already out hanging tree stands, um, before, you know, to get, you know, get ready for this upcoming season. If you're in a tree, remember, and please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week. Mhm mhm.